from Outpost Media and Blue Ion, this is The Way Out There. Conversations and stories about the relationship between people and the outdoors. We interview outdoor leaders, teachers, guides, and everyday individuals who have answered a call to step into the vast beauty out there. By hearing their stories, we hope you'll be inspired to go way out there yourself. Holy City Brewing is a North Charleston-based craft brewer that offers ales and lagers for all tastes. Founded in 2011, they earned the Gold Medal Award at the Great American Beer Festival for their Pluff Mud Porter and a bronze for their Washout Wheat. They've also been named the best local brewery in Charleston for several years running. You can find their handcrafted Holy City brews in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia. We sat down to catch up with Chris Brown, one of the Holy City co-owners, and JT Stelmack, their brand manager and ambassador, to get the inside scoop on their new brewery in the works and a few other exciting projects on their plate. We'll also dig into the backstory of their team and the brewery and discuss the challenge of balancing crazy life and business schedules with a call of the outdoors. All right, Chris Brown, JT Stelmack, thanks for joining us on The Way Out There. Thanks for having us. So um, while the rest of the Carolina coast is uh, boarding up their windows and evacuating to the higher ground, we're here in North Charleston, better known as Nocha, with you guys talking about beer and podcasting. Seems a little crazy, but I'm glad someone's got their priorities in order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's uh, Charleston Beer Week. Is that right? It is, yeah. What's left of it anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. at least we've got our priorities in yeah. order and uh, carrying forward the show. So yep. thanks thanks for doing this. Thanks for showing up and uh, and talking with us today. Uh, we're here in Nocha Studios, which is arguably the premier recording studio in the Charleston area. Surprisingly, not many people know about it. It's, it, it's, uh, it's indie. <laughs> it's, it feels, I think what I like about it is it feels like home. And uh, so if anyone's out there looking for a great place to record, look up Nocha Studios. Um, we typically like to record the way out there on site. So like we'd come out to your place, um, and that way it's sort of in the environment. Y'all are in the mood of doing what you, what you normally do, but you guys are making too much noise at your site. Um, both the, 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 the brewery and tap room that we all know and love, but also even more noise at, uh, something pretty exciting that's in the works. So I want to start there. If you guys will, about a mile away, you've got a pretty big and bad project going down. So, uh, Chris, will you get us started and talk about this big milestone in Holy City's history? Yeah. So, um, we bought or purchased the old Public Works building from North Charleston. Uh, it was Public Works from like 1975 or four until um, about three years ago. And it's a 20,000 square foot building on about four and a half acres of property off of Noisette Creek. And we're in the process of converting it into a brewery. So we'll start with production side and then hopefully sometime next year, be able to get a tap room and kitchen and all that kind of fun stuff going. Yeah, so awesome. So 20,000 square feet. I'm bad at sort of judging size. What's that compared to your current place? We're like 6,300 right now. So yeah, like triple more than triple. Um, it'll, uh, it leaves us about 10,000 for production and about 10,000 for tap room. Um, it, that overlaps a little bit. It's not exact, but yeah, about that. Close enough. Yeah. Um, when can we, you sort of said next year, when do you think we could 
without putting you on the spot, because I know you can't do that with construction, but when, when Mike was able to go over there and enjoy. We will be brewing there by the end of the year, for yeah. sure. Um, the tap room, if we get permits in October, I'm hoping it's a six-month build-out, so like, you know, three, four months into next year. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing's really gone to plan yeah, yet, so yeah, we'll see yeah. how that I, works. I, but that was one of my next yeah. questions: Is it like, has it been like a smooth thing? Has it been a wild roller coaster ride, or a little bit of both? It, you know, I'm sure from like a lot of people that work at Holy City, it seems like it's crazy um, and nothing's on time. But like, we technically didn't close on the property till March of this year, so to be almost at brewing now is not horrible. Not at all. Um, equipment showed up earlier than we expected. Um, uh, compared to when we closed on the property and, you know, so North Charleston's really good to work with though. They've been awesome. So Killer. any kind of paperwork hiccup or anything, they've been there to, to help speed it up or make sure that we got things through quickly. So, and what's your, um, like what's your, what's your goal and your sort of like vision of the new place when it's, when it's all open and firing? Um, you know, off the rip production wise, we're, we're going to try to double capacity. So we'll jump from six to 12,000 barrels. Um, and then, you know, we've got an idea to have an event space on the property. There's an old awning in the back that we're that's on the Creek that we're going to try to convert into a, an event space. There's also a little cove. We can probably put a little music venue. And it is, I, I was by there the other day. It, it, it looks like, like the outside goes down to some beautiful old trees, marsh and the Creek and all that, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll have to clean it. We obviously won't get rid of any, like the oak trees, but there's a bunch of like overgrown shrubs and stuff. Scrubbing. We'll just have to like clean up so you can get a good view of the marsh. Um, and then there's also, there was a house on the property that conveyed that's going to be a tattoo shop, Roses and Ruin tattoo shop. So it's kind of random. There'll be a tattoo shop on a brewery property. But it's kind of cool. Yeah. It'll be yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there's tons of parking. Uh, the tap room will have a bunch of space. We'll have, we're going to delve into sours a little bit more. So it'll be a little sour area behind the bar. So you'll be able to kind of see stuff happening, see some open fermentation. Uh, and... Yeah, bigger kitchens excited. They're going to have a ton more space, so expand the menu a little bit. It'll be a little smokehouse outside. Um, yeah, it should, cool. should be pretty fun. JT, you and I were talking maybe a month or two back about the new joint, and um, I thought it was really interesting what you were conveying about, like, how do you, it's, it's challenging to figure out how you take all that love and energy that you all have created on Dorchester and figure out how does that move to a new site, no matter where that new site is. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do, and you don't, you're doing it because you want to do some new things and some bigger things, but at the same time you want to bring over that soul and that spirit and that character. And is that something y'all wrestle with and think about every day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, uh, the brewery on uh, Dorchester road opened seven years ago pretty much. Um, and it's really like organically grown into something absolutely different than it ever started as. Yeah. Uh, probably a lot more than Chris and the owners thought it would be. Um, when I was there, there were five taps on the wall. Now there's 25. Uh, I think we had some like fold up picnic tables and like a fire pit. That was about it. Uh, now there's, I don't know, probably room for about 150, 200 people out there. Um, so it's really cool to see and, and to try to create organic growth is really hard. I mean, if not impossible. So, uh, in a perfect world, we could lift up the place we have and drop it into this new spot and air condition it and you know have some better bathrooms and things like that these things that make people want to hang out and and drink a little bit um but yeah that's the goal it's the same people who are operating it and running it and starting it so um we've all got the same vision i believe 
does it, uh, is it going to take expanding the whole team and the crew as well to be able to operate a place that's twice the size and twice the capacity when you get there? Yeah. I mean, you know, just for sheer size of tap room and kitchen, I know we'll have more kitchen and bar staff for sure. Um, and then supporting staff from there, we're, we'll, we'll try to figure that out, but yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll add jobs for sure. There's exciting times. Well, on top of that, you've got another thing going on that you guys were just announcing last night, bakery and brewer. Yeah, Baker and Brewer. Baker and Brewer, yep. sorry. Um, so that's a little collaboration, if we're calling it that, uh, with Evo Pizza. Uh, so longtime friends. Chris worked for Evo back in the day, too. The first Holy City beers were poured at Evo. Um, so there's pretty a strong connection there with these two families. Um, that's going to be opening up downtown on Stewart Street, uh, which is uh, the east side, they call it. Um, right behind Taco Boy, old DeSano's Pizza Spot. So... Uh, blowing out some walls right now, doing some construction. Um, it's going to be really cool. I've seen drawings of it, and I have visions. Um, so we're excited about it. We just not announced the brand and the logos and the name and all that stuff last night as part of Charleston Beer Week. Um, so that's an ongoing process, too. And not to, again, put you on the spot, when when might that be the words nearing, nearing compl- completion? January. Uh, open to the public sometime first of the year. That's awesome. Um, so excited. We're shooting for, you know, we're, we're, we're saying spring, but yeah, I think there's a good chance between January and, you know, March that we'll be ready to roll. It construction's actually farther ahead than we expected at this point. So we're going to, the, the, we'll be waiting on brewing equipment. So how so, did that, how did that idea hatch between you and the uh, Evo gang? We, we were looking at a spot in Somerville, uh, on our own and kind of realized with the sprule site going, we didn't really want to do, um, <clears throat> excuse me. We didn't really want to do uh, deal with the kitchen side of things. We just wanted to focus on making beer, and so we had approached Evo because I've known those guys for you know ten years. I was like, would you be interested in working together on something? And they were all about it. And we started looking more into the Somerville site, and then the pricing wasn't right, and we bailed on that location. And we're like, well, maybe we'll find something. Maybe we, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll take two years. We don't, you know, no rush. We're not trying to push this and then the DeSano spot was available and we went and checked it out and everybody kind of dug it it felt like it fit for what we were trying to do that area is kind of blowing up right now there's somebody said that 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 like four blocks around there is supposed to be one of the most densely populated areas in South Carolina in the next four years yeah there's there's all kinds of good stuff around. so much things so much stuff coming into that area so we kind of jumped on it and yeah we signed a lease I guess we technically took possession of it September 1st and what will that uh, tap room side feel like compared to either the current tap room or the future one um, up here in, in the big new brewery? What, how will that will it be similar, different? I feel like this one's going to be a lot more restaurant than mm. it is brewery. Okay. So there'll be a small brew system there, right? Five barrel system, five barrel system, some wood fooders, um, some cool looking stuff, big bar, garage, roll up garage doors, outdoor patio, stage, uh, and then Evo's also known for their the bakery side of things uh so they'll have like a retail bakery shop in the front small plates the croissants are like stupid good yeah uh, yeah there's all their stuff good. is stupid they do an everything bagel croissant where there's cream cheese on the inside and then like sprinkled with the seasoning on the top Ooh. i'm really into it yeah uh, so they'll still do those down you're there. making me hungry yeah uh-huh. um and then uh pizza and beer in the back yeah we're not trying to reinvent the wheel with it we're going to try to pull things that from each business that works so and we have a lot of you know the kind of the color schemes and the just like the feel of our places are somewhat similar um so i mean we'll, we'll 
we're still going to have like our walk-in cooler with the taps on the front like we do at our current brewery um, behind the bar, try to keep the same kind of bar feel. And then they're going to have their wood-fired oven with, you know, they they use a lot of nice wood in the bar and, uh, you know, reclaim wood and that kind of stuff. So we're going to try to mesh everything, the two brands together the best we can. So you're not arguing over paint colors and curtains no, and stuff? No, I think we're all pretty chill. We don't <laughs> want, you know, and that, and there'll be some organic growth there. Like we're not bringing an interior designer in. So like, you know, we're going to, we'll, we'll decorate it and let it grow kind of on, on its own. Um, but yeah, we'll probably, we'll probably, we have a local uh, friend that's a woodworker, so he'll probably be doing our tables and stuff like that. So, all right. So you got, you got Dorchester still firing away the beloved location. Everyone's coming in and enjoying that. You've got the big new one in the works. You got the Evo collab going on, uh, man, that's a lot. It's a lot of, a lot of moving parts and pieces and that's pretty damn exciting. Um, what do you, what is the long-term look at what you do at Dorchester at some point? Do you, does that all that come to the new joints or is that yet to be determined and just figure out how everything a little, operates. a little of both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're majority, if not all the equipment will be moving to the, to Sproul. Um, we're, we plan to run in both brew systems over there. We're bringing all the tanks over canning line, all that kind of stuff. Um, we don't want to get rid of that spot. Um, if we're going to continue to brew there, the, honestly, the building needs a lot of love. It just needs some work. It's seven years old and it's just, you know, kind of beat up. Um, and we, we rent there. So there's some things that landlord's responsible for and stuff like that. So we're, the end result will probably be, we'll keep it for storage. Um, but the kitchen and the bar aren't moving. So if we want to do private events, we want to do bottle releases, uh, who knows? I mean, anything really. seems like so. at the rate at which you guys are <clears throat> expanding and enjoying opportunity, you're going to need some some space to do something yeah to store something to host something and and i kind of you know in my head i kind of like the idea of you know let's shut it down for a little bit let's put that love back into the building to make it look nicer and get it cleaned up a little bit and then maybe we reopen it with something different or very cool well chris can you take us back to like when uh, holy city was hatched what what was the what were the conversations you were having? You were one of the co-founders and, mm-hmm. and are one of the co-owners. So um, what was going on back in that time? Who were you talking with and, and what got it going? So I was brewing in Atlanta at Gordon Biersch in Midtown. And I kind of wanted to get out of Atlanta. I wanted to come back to Charleston. And the... You went to college here, went right? Went to college at Charleston. Yeah. And... Um, uh, Mike Kulik, who owns Tattooed Moose and Voodoo, he had, I had reached out to him about some work and he was like, well, I don't have any work right now, but I know this guy that likes to homebrew. You should, you should meet him. And so it was Joel Carl, who's my business partner now. So I met with Joel and we started talking about making a little homebrew system. And he built this little system out of like used bike parts and scrap metal and, um, like three kegs. And we started homebrewing in the pedicab shop downtown because he owns pedicab and rickshaw. And um, and this is like what time? This is like 2009, eight, nine, something like that. So the Mac, who's our other partner, was he had just moved back to Charleston and he was friends with Joel. And so he like called Joel. was like, what are you doing? We're brewing. So he would just come down and he would bike down and like go to the community store and pick up six packs for us so we could have beer while we brewed. And Sean Nemitz was Joel's partner in Rickshaw. So he was just kind of there cause they were, you know, partners. So the four of us would hang out and brew and the beer was not that great. And we, <laughs> but we were like, everybody kind of liked the idea of opening something. And then Mac had a, uh, 
he owns part of Blue Ridge Biodiesel in Asheville, and he wanted to do he wanted to collect oil here to ship up to Asheville, and like oil from like restaurants, restaurants yeah. yeah. And um, I guess there's a lot of people that do that in this town, and so he was having trouble getting accounts and getting enough oil to make it worth it. So, but he already had the building, and so he we moved all the brew stuff up from the pedicab shop up to the was biodiesel collection place, and I took out some credit cards and dumped like a bunch of money into like just getting some better homebrew equipment than it's what the we entrepreneurial had. way right you know just yeah just trying to like it's like if we're gonna do this and we're gonna like present beer to people to try and get investment like we have to make some decent beer so and your background of gordon beer i mean they, they make they make some good beers. super yeah. decent beer yeah <laughs> and um you know so we we got some better equipment um started putting some recipes together uh the brewery was or the building had like a wood shop in it it was going to be like wood shop biodiesel the brewery was gonna have like one bay within the five bays that were there four bays and um and then we started passing business plan around and we ended up getting a loan through the ldc it's like a local lending group they only lend a small business and um that was enough to get our brew system so we used that to get the brew system and then we scrounged together everything else we could sold off some shares to family and friends and uh kind of snowballed from there so it's really cool. Like JT, how would you, um, describe sort of the approach of Holy city in general? Like, you know, it's that scrappy start. Maybe, maybe, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people think of craft beer being very much like what Holy city story is like four dudes who were friends who like making beer and didn't want to go do their other jobs. So they started a brewery. Uh, it's kind of like the idealistic theory of craft beer, yeah. but there's plenty of other breweries that have plenty of, uh, capital and money up front and professional brewers and things like that, um, that get going. So it's, it's a fun way to, to start a business. Um, and it goes right back to that, like organic growth where it's like, we've got a space. All right. Now we need brewing equipment. And then now we need more staff and, and things like that. So, um, and it's, it's my perception valid or not. Is that sort of the infused in all the way that y'all see the world and your, the culture of your team and all that, it sort of has that, like, let's do it organically. Yeah, let's I mean, have a connection with people in the community. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, getting out and being in front of people and wowing them with our people skills uh, is kind of the best way to go about it. Really, I'm a people um, person too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and beer is easy. It's it's like a natural connection with everyone. Most people like it. If you like the bubbles, there's a beer out there you're gonna like. So when did you plug into the Holy City? So game? I started in, like almost six years ago now. Um, I was friends with, uh, Sean Nemitz's wife. Um, and I found out like, I, I remember when I met Sean, first time I met Sean was on the beach and he was like, yeah, we're starting this brewery. And I'm like, good luck with that. You know, have fun. <laughs> uh, and then about a year later, I was pretty much calling him, begging him for work. Uh, so I came in and, uh, basically like volunteered for a few months. I worked in the tap room for beer and tips. Um, it was a lot of fun. And then was the tap room five taps at that five point? taps. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I worked Tuesday from four to six, maybe I think it was were the hours. So, uh, it was a different story there. Maybe we saw seven guests that day. Uh, the laws were a lot different. So there were things you couldn't do that, that people kind of think you've been always been able to do. So basically a guest would come out and they would pay $5 for a tour or a pint glass. They'd buy something for five bucks and they could get four free samples of beer. So there were five taps. You got one sample of everything. And then, uh, we were making a from scratch root beer at the time. So the last thing you got was a sample of our non-alcoholic from scratch root beer. Um, keep the pint glass, that kind of thing. So I think, I imagine when we started, we 
gave out a ton of glassware. <laughs> like a ridiculous amount. Yeah, and then we stopped pretty promptly. Uh, the laws changed. Uh, the state kind of saw that there was money in craft beer. North Carolina was blowing up. Uh, Sierra Nevada was moving in. They were leading the charge, at yep, least regionally. New Belgium, Oscar Blues, or, you know, Asheville as a city had probably 25 breweries at this point, and this is 2010, no, 2012 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so the state sees that. They don't like losing money to North Carolina, so uh, they started passing some laws, um, first one being the uh, pint bill, they called it, uh, that allowed breweries to sell uh, 48 ounces of beer on premise per person per day. Uh, so three pints, you'd come out and have three different pints of beer. That's that's kind of when I took on a different role and started running the tap room. Um, we were busier. We needed more staff, and we had more taps. Um, so that was great. We did that for a little while. And three pints is a good amount of beer. It was still just kind of weird. You could go to, you know, Wet Willies downtown and have four, whatever they call those frozen uh, uh, Everclear drinks. But uh, you couldn't have four beers at Holy City Brewing. So, um, again, more money options were on the table. Stone Brewing was looking to move from uh, Escondido, California, out to build a brewery out east. Um, and South Carolina wanted a piece of the pie if it was an option. So they changed the rules again. Uh, I remember passed, they hopped on it for that opportunity. Yep, yeah, didn't they what didn't they work called, out, but yeah. still the, the laws were changed. Yeah, yeah, they passed yeah. what they called the Stone Bill, uh, basically allowing us to, if you wanted to, uh, open a kitchen or really just a, a place to serve food out of and offer something. And if you did that, you could operate more like a bar restaurant typical um stone did i think they chose richmond right i think you're right richmond or roanoke one of them uh virginia uh something but it other breweries are moving east too, too so these laws are important to change and um it's spawned other things like the south carolina brewers guild and all these collections of people trying to better the the beverage yeah so. it sort of fascinates me that you know aside from the enormous and amazing task of creating a great beer that you're also running full-on restaurants and kitchens you know, and service, service teams and systems and all that. And, um, is that a reality uh, and necessary reality of the business today, or it's just an opportunity there because people like to go enjoy beer in the place that it's made. And if you're enjoying beer, you wouldn't mind something to eat. And it's just, it's a yeah, natural combination. I, I think when we started, it was like, well, let's keep them in the seat a little longer and give them a pretzel or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, you know, if there's a little, if you got a little snack or if it's yeah. a little salty, it's, it goes well with beer. Uh, and then it was like, well, I mean, if we're doing pretzels and burritos, why don't we do sandwiches and snack and salads and just kind of expanded from there. So we took on uh, a friend of the brewery was a chef. He kind of came in and helped us get things rolling. And then uh, one of our like super Monday regulars uh, really wanted a job and he came in and work. His name's Joel and uh, he's now leading the kitchen. So he's, awesome. he's in charge and he, he basically just started as coming in as a guest on Monday nights with him and his girlfriend or wife and um, found himself a job and now he's in charge. Super cool. Yep. And now you're doing this collab with Eva. It's yep. just really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chris, as head, your head brewer, right? Is that among other things? Is that fair to say or is that the right title? Yeah, or? I mean, I kind of, I guess I go by production manager at this point. Okay. So right. I'm not on the brew house as much as I wish I could be. <laughs> um, so... How yeah. do you uh, how do you guys and how do you and your team think about the beers that you want to be making and looking ahead at the styles, ingredients? Um, um, what's the what's the process that goes to your head and and how do you sort of wade through all that? A, a lot of times it's it's simple things where we're just like, man, we'd really like to try this style or we this is something we'd like to drink or whatever, and we we just kind of focus on that and then you know 
come up with a recipe. Um, sometimes it's just based on production, which, you know, maybe this yeast is available. All right, what can we do with it? Um, or, you know, we all, we're, we're trying to keep 25 beers on tap at the brewery. So to have that kind of variety, to keep that rolling, you got to brew new stuff and you got to, some are, some are dropping off. You have to increase yeah. new ones to keep it around 25. Yeah. And we want to keep, we want to keep it fresh in the tap room. We want mm-hmm. people to be able to come up there and try something new. And, um, so that comes into play a little bit as well. You know, with, with the new tap room coming on with the Evo spot coming on, we've, me and Jack, who Jack's, I guess, technically our head brewer now. Um, he, uh, he's pretty good at recipe development. So we can kind of shoot ideas off each other. And so we've kind of just started a, like a spreadsheet of like, all right, we come up with this idea and then we, kind of slowly add to it, you know, at thoughts at a time. Cause we know some of these beers, we're not going to brew at the Evo spot till maybe December or January. Um, but we'd like to have some recipes in the bag waiting to, to brew. So, um, it's that's kind of cool. on your, it's on your wish list or your wait yeah. list. And yeah. so like we, we, some of those, I don't want to even brew yet. Cause I want to, I only, I only want to brew them at Evo. Yeah. So we're kind of waiting for that, that to happen. And we've got some cool ideas at Evo list. or at Spruill. Will the new equipment just allow you to do more or will it allow you to do different type of stuff? Um, the Evo spots a five barrel system. So it's just smaller amounts of beer. Um, it's kind of the company we got it from is they do a lot of, you can customize a lot of it. So I got to customize it the way I wanted. So we added some things to do kettle sours a little bit easier. Um, so we can sour in the kettle, uh, over the weekend or, you know, over a couple days. And so that'll be kind of fun. We'll get to play around with some sour stuff that we, we can do, but they take up time. So I can't just put those into normal production right now. Right. So to have a spot that I can just do that and not worry about it when it comes out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the sprule side with the, the, the big system that we got a four vessel, 30 barrel system going in over there. So that's mainly for the, the stuff we can, the big stuff, pluff mud, wash out wheat, overly friendly. Um, so we'll get that pump in some cans, use the, the, the current 15 barrel system to do some small batch fun stuff. And then the five barrel for just like whatever we want to yeah. do. So yeah. what's, what's like a random thing you're just dying to brew right now? Um, let me see, think about what's on that list. Um, we've got a, an idea for like a dry hopped, uh, like a mosaic dry hopped kettle sour, um, which is kind of simple, but, um, just something like just really light colored and, uh, mosaics are just kind of, uh, a little fruity, but kind of dank and just like give it a really big nose, but nice tartness to it. Um, this and conversations kind of thirsty, kind of randomly that doesn't. So the, the idea with Evo spot was to do a lot of Belgian and French mm-hmm. inspired beers. You do some wild ales. We'll have fooders, which is like a big wood wine barrel, um, that we can age beer in for months at a time. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have two 10 barrel oval fooders. Um, and they, We'll have, we've actually been playing around with, so Evo uses a sourdough starter. Um, they've had the same sourdough starter for 10 years, 12 years, however long Evo's been around. And so they just continue to feed that sourdough starter and that's what's in all their, their dough. So we pulled some of that uh, and tried to, you know, brewer's yeast and baker's yeast are technically different, but they're both kind of doing the same thing. So we pitched it with some of our house British yeast um, in a really light beer. And so we've got this kind of, weird tart sourdough starter beer wow it's kind of weird um so we're gonna try to incorporate that with like possibly some brett and some lacto to make it a little more tart and that might be one of the things that's in our food one of the fooders so there's like a a beer that kind of 
uses some yeast from the bakery. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, I mean, we've done yeah. how many styles of beer have we made in seven years? Um, I just did a list yesterday. Actually, we're at one seventy nine. Yeah, um, and that doesn't include so that's just like unique recipes. That's not like uh, barrel aging something or taking something and adding fruit to it or, and calling it something different. Like that's just like it's unique like styles of beer. Um, so if you include all that other stuff, it's well over 200, yeah. maybe close to three. I think a lot of the recipes we come from or we get to come from beers that we've done in the past and like techniques that we know work and more probably more importantly, techniques we know don't work. Um, and then tinkering with a little bit, messing with uh, hot profiles and percentages of this and percentages of that, like little little changes that can lead to big flavor profiles. Yeah. But um, like I'm... Um, kind of not like reinventing the wheel, I guess. So I, I think traditionally we've always been pretty traditional German style ales and lagers, you know, not too many adjuncts and the consumer side of things has changed a lot over the years. Kids are drinking milkshake IPAs now, which is a whole weird thing. I don't see that on our list right yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, everything's going to change. We've done the, our first beer was a Pilsner. Our second beer was a Porter and we've kind of gone from there. Yeah. So, I wanted to build um, on that JT. I mean, it's like, there's, I think I read somewhere there's 24, 25, you know, brewers here, production or commercial brewers or whatever. When y'all started, there must have been maybe three? We were four. Four? four? Yeah, so you were the fourth. So, you know, and that's probably, I mean, you look at Asheville, it's probably more in other communities around the country, that sort of same thing's happening. So you just kind of like, you, how, do you, how do you make sense of that busy sea of brewers out there? It's probably going to continue to increase and everyone finds their little spot. Some may over time not find their spot, but you just find your spot and do what you do and keep plowing forward. Yeah, I mean, that, that's our goal is just, you know, we're just out here making beer. We're not saving lives or anything. So um, that's something Chris says all the time. I always laugh at him. Um, there, there's definitely a power in numbers in craft beer, uh, and that goes with the Brewers Guild. That's what's getting these laws changed. And and as these laws are changing, that's why more more breweries are opening because it's makes more sense. It didn't make a ton of sense to open a brewery in 2010. The laws just weren't there. Yeah. The cash flow coming into your brewery is low. Um, but after so, the stone bill and yeah, after, after that the stone bill, you know, you can actually make some cash yeah. pretty quickly and yeah. pay off things. It's a, there's a lot of capital and that you need up front for breweries that people don't realize. Um, so these other breweries we've done collaborations. I think we did the first one in state with RJ Rockers. It's the first South Carolina collaboration beer. We did the first one in Charleston with Frothy Beard. Um, we're always doing those. We do, we've used Noda, Wicked Weed, Southbound, Big Boss. So, I mean, it, it's fun. And, and, you know, people always ask, like, why, why do collaborations? And the biggest reason is because they're fun. Yeah, uh, I'd agree. like hanging out with people. Right, and I right. know you guys came out and we're drinking your beer right now. Right. Um, it, it's not a ton of work for anybody except the person brewing it. Uh, everyone else is just kind of drinking. Yeah, yeah, layer for uh, the ride. But Chris says too, I mean, you, you always learn something when you do a collab. Everyone does something a little bit different, so you learn tips and techniques to to do things, and everyone's more than happy to share their knowledge and their uh, talents with you. Can I ask you one more uh, technical beer talk question? I'll try, yeah. So I think you've tried to explain this to me before, and I can't ever quite wrap my head around it, this whole like distribution system, three-tier system, and all that stuff. Yeah where you, there are situations where you're not allowed to sell directly to consumer, right? And have yep. to sell th either through a distributor or through a retailer or something yeah. else. That still exists. Oh, yeah. But that's yeah, yeah. somehow evolved a little bit through recent changes to policy or not really? Uh, no, no, not at all. Not uh, at that's all. something that probably will never change. Okay. 
maybe somewhere down the line. Uh, South Carolina is what they call a three-tier system. So Holy City Brewing is a, a supplier. Uh, the distributor that we use, uh, there's probably like seven or eight distributors in Charleston alone that do things. We've got nine different distributors or so through the state. Um, just through South Carolina. Just through South yeah. Well, I think that might include Into North, North Carolina, Carolina Augusta too. too. Um, but anyway, we have to sell beer to nine. And then those distributors sell beer to a retailer. And then the retailer could be a bar, restaurant, grocery store, whatever. And then they sell it to you, the consumer. Um, so there's a lot of chains. Like North Carolina, for instance, uh, you can self-distribute under X amount of barrels. I think it's 25,000, something like that. Um, so if you produce small amounts of beer, you could go down to, you know, Moe's Corner Bar and say, hey, you guys want a keg of Pluff Mud Porter? And you could drive it down there. And it works well because the money comes directly to the brewery and you don't have to go through. It almost saves the consumer money at times right. too. Because yeah, because they're not getting past the cost. X, the distributor charges X plus 20. The retailer charges X plus 20 plus 60. And then whatever it gets to you at. Um, but there's it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, there's we couldn't sell nearly as much beer with the staff we have if we were self-distributing. So we need those that army of trucks and logistics centers and things like that. That and network to introduce yeah, people to Holy City. We've and got, Charleston's got something like 1,200 on and off-premise accounts at least. Uh, so I can't go visit 1,200 accounts in a week and yeah. get them beer. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we need people to do that with yeah. us or for us. Um, recently I read about a little, uh, like an icon or something that they're um, – local craft brewers or independent brewers are mm -hmm. putting on their labels. Is that, is that something y'all are going to do and participate in? Is, yeah, that, is that a worthwhile um, effort and cost? Yeah, so uh, the Brewers Association, uh, I guess, trying to inform the consumer a little more. Um, a lot of people don't realize some of these buyouts or where your money is going when you're making the choices at the grocery store. So they I think it's called the independent craft seal. Um, so it's like, start, it looks know, like a little bottle, right? It's a little like upside down bottle. Yeah. And, uh, it says like, Certified independent craft. Um, and it's have basically have just, I'm sorry. Have y'all seen that out anywhere yet, or is it still? Oh waiting? yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, a, a lot of like a lot of the larger craft breweries, like Left Hand or Dogfish Head. I mean, they're they're already using it. They can they turn around so many labels and bottles that it's pretty quick. Yeah, they'll get them out the door and change up their labels next and day. Go uh, with us. We've got to go through an inventory of the cans and stuff we have and. Uh, get new artwork that's being done by some really great artists uh, that uh, I believe they're getting on there as well. Um, some of our new cans, we do some shrink wrap stuff for more specialty varieties. And those ones that are like the Sparkly Princess and the Madame Basil, uh, those are already out there with the independent craft seal. Yeah, very nice. Um, well, this is a podcast in part or in large part about the outdoors and connecting people to the outdoors. And uh, so let's turn to that subject for the last little bit of this. Um, you know, I know you guys are, again, crazy busy brewing, crazy busy selling, crazy busy working on new breweries and collaborations and all that stuff. But um, what do you guys do yourself personally when you need to escape, get away from the, the heat of the work and the intensity of it all? Do you get outdoors? Are there certain things you love doing more than others? Um, I mean, with the, I have two little kids. So, I mean, we, if we're out during the summer, we're usually at the pool. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's probably most of our weekend. Um, you know, I wish I could fish more than I do, but I don't <laughs> usually have the time to do much outside of, uh, the brewery and home. So yeah. I'm, and two kids have a hard time with the patience of fishing at yeah, a young age. Some, uh, yeah, mostly pool probably if we're, if we're doing something out. Where were you from before you were at the college? Were you from around here? Or Atlanta. From Atlanta. Yeah. 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 So 
yeah, I was in Atlanta till college and then Charleston. And then I went to Denver for a couple of years and then back to Charleston, yeah. or back to Atlanta, back to Charleston. How about you, JT? Uh, so I grew up in New Hampshire, actually. Um, uh, New Hampshire has 18 beautiful miles of coastline. Uh, and my town was right on that, about 40 minutes north of Boston, Hampton Beach. Um, so a lot of fun. I left there and went to school at Clemson. Um, and then when I was getting finished up there, I was jonesing for the ocean, but didn't really want to go back to New England. Uh, so I moved to Charleston. I'd actually never been here before and uh, moved down. And I've been here now for like 15 years, uh, which is crazy. Um, as far as outdoorsy stuff, I, I mean, I do like the beach. I actually don't like like hanging out at the beach, but I love like it being there yeah, and seeing it and smelling it and kind of feeling it. Uh, so where I grew up, the beach was very close to where you parked. So you'd kind of park your car, run in the water, get on a towel, and then a little colder water up there too, oh, right? Much colder. Um, I fancy myself a bit of a golfer. Uh, so I get out <laughs> and do that kind of stuff. Um, I love the spirit of the outdoors. I don't do it nearly as much or am good at any of it. Well, that doesn't uh, but matter. I, like, you know, we, we're planning this kayak event. Uh, with the storm. So I, I like kayaking the waterways down here. That's a lot of fun. Um, well, like you said, you guys are pretty damn busy, but it was a cool thing you did with us, uh, with Outpost and way out there to, to collaborate and work on that beer, which in, you know, no small part was a sort of a celebration of people getting outside and, and, uh, finding their way to connect with the outdoors, you know, whether that's gardening in the backyard or doing a crazy hike up on the New Hampshire mountains. Yeah. Those are some intense mountains. White mountains. Yeah. White mountains. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Coldest place on earth? Uh, windiest. Windiest. Place. Place it actually just got beat out yeah. by this place in, uh, like, I think it was Australia. It's something like it got like one kilometer per hour higher. But, <laughs> yeah. Little t- little tidbit. But the uh, the relationships and the collaborations within the world of like outdoor outdoor sports, hiking, whatever that is, and beer is sort of is is about as tight as a relationship between really good food and beer. You know, it's sort of Absolutely. fascinating how you, how you see that rolling across. Are there other things that you guys work on at the brewery? Um, or at the at the soon to come breweries about um, you know using what you do with waste or where you get materials from or trying to use a little less water. I don't know what what the issues are that you can, you wrestle with and can figure out. Yeah, I mean sustainability is always something we're thinking about. It's it is really tough um, as a small business. It's tough in the brewing industry without a lot of money. Yeah, um, you know. We're not big enough to have our own, you know, water treatment center or, you know, wastewater collection or something like that, like some of the bigger breweries do. Um, you know, there's there are ways that we can recapture water throughout the process that helps out a ton. Um, and then, you know, the like the pack tech we use to hold our cans together is recycled. And um, but, yeah, I mean, there's not there's not a ton that we can do. To, to really be fully sustainable. We tried, when we first started, we tried to, the, bo- the the original boiler, the burner was supposed to run on biodiesel since Mac had like the biodiesel connection. Yeah. Um, and it did not run on biodiesel one time. Um, <laughs> it is much easier to be connected to natural gas uh, and then trying to bring biodiesel down for running a boiler. Um, and now it has a new burner on it, so we don't do that. But yeah, it's, it's definitely something, and that's it, something we're thinking about going into the new spot probably more than we can at the current spot. Um, there's actually a, we, we did a project with, uh, this group called Sentara out of Greenville that did, um, water collection and, uh, they would actually treat the water through man-made wetlands, which was really cool idea. So they came on on site and they set up a man-made wetland in like these giant, like 
It was probably, yeah, a little ki- like kiddie pool wow. kind of thing. And they set up the, you know, cattails and uh, filled it with dirt and all this kind of stuff. And they would filter the water through. And, and that's like at, like a gray water after a process they could filter yeah, through so there? That, you know, the idea is that once it goes through the cattails and goes through their process that essentially you could dump it back into the marsh and it's, it's, it's yeah, clean enough cool. to be in the marsh without having yeah. to go through the sewer system or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and there's ways to do that on a bigger scale where, you know, you actually do it in the ground and cover it with gravel and then have plants coming up through the gravel that people could like walk around on and your water's underneath, you know, funneling into the marsh. So it's a really cool idea. We're going to try to pursue hopefully at the new spot. Um, and we were one of the first to test it on a brewery side. They do this with like, I think coal plants or something like that. But, uh, so the, the brewery side that we use a lot of, uh, some pretty heavy chemicals for cleaning. So there was a little bit of a learning curve, I think with trying to run, you know, heavy caustics that kills organics through cattails. Um, so once we kind of figured out what, how to, how to work that, how to calibrate that. Yeah, exactly. So like it got, I think it was good data to, to do it on that small scale and hopefully we can recreate it. That's cool, Chris. I mean, like, like you said, I mean, I think everyone, every business is probably wrestling with that. At least the ones that is part of their values and part of their outlook are saying, how can we continue to work on this and learn, how to do it better and over time maybe with more resources to be able to invest in it more and more and that's totally fair yeah. and you know i like like in the meantime i think about again the cool and fun small project you did with us um i think you've you've done some other beers that um as sort of a collaboration or maybe even more directly in support of some conservation organizations you know so y'all have been pretty active in that realm yeah, even as good. you do it's, grow and it's good to get like beers in people's hands as awareness campaigns kind of yeah exactly um, so we've done something with uh we did a beer with low country uh open land trust yep the angel oak uh angel oak pale ale for them uh and they're a great organization basically trying to preserve and buy up land to protect the kind of natural landscape we live in yep uh we brewed a beer with don't drill south carolina um that's a beer we still make called paradise um and it was an awareness beer that was basically just trying to stop offshore drilling um so we keep that around i guess those are a big but those are awesome. I mean, I can speak from helping, you know, in, in a position at times to help people try to create that awareness and partnering with someone like you guys is a big shot in the arm to do that. Yeah. So that's a pretty significant impact. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, Chris and JT, man, I can't thank you guys enough for, for braving the storm, so to speak, and for not evacuating and running out of town yeah. and uh, for sitting here and talking and having a beer and we're about to fire into some delicious Evo pizza too. But oh, congrats. On everything you guys are doing, yeah, you deserve, deserve it all, and it's uh, and we're we're the beneficiaries of it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Way Out There, and keep your eyes and ears open for the next episode in the coming weeks. If you haven't already, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and other platforms to have new episodes automatically appear right in your playlist. That's it for now, and as always, we hope you're finding the way out there. <laughs>